Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for this show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle-related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and prioritize yourself, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured, and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. Do you have a chronic illness and are overwhelmed with advice or conflicting information? My book, Hope in a Dark Tunnel, gives you actionable steps to create your path back to well-being and positivity, hope and resilience without false promises. Head to www.hopeinadarktunnel.com. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Hello and welcome. It's Bev here. And today I have the beautiful Sonia Stevens with me today. Sonia is... If you've heard about my book, Hope in a Dark Tunnel, Sonesse is the photographer of the image that is on my book. So welcome to you, Sonesse. Thank you so much, Bev. It was such, I mean, that was just such an amazing day when you came all the way to Japan and we went out to this beautiful area of Hakone, out to the museum, and that tunnel was there and we were talking about your book and it just felt so right because wow, we, we spent the whole entire train ride talking about having hope in a dark tunnel, and there you were. Yes, it was just magical, and I love that the artistic effect has made it to really evoke the mood and the emotion of the book, so that's brilliant. So thank you for being that photographer. We, um... oh. <laughs> yeah, it, was to- it was totally my pleasure. What a, what a complete amazing thing, you know, when, it, when I say to people all the time, oh, Anytime you want a futon, we've always got a futon for you. Come on over. And when Bev actually did, it was so amazing. <laughs> I was so super thrilled. And um, what a perfect way to put their artistic touch on it, considering that was at the Hakone Open Art Museum, which is a beautiful outdoor museum. Plus, it has indoor exhibitions by artists like Picasso, like some of the works that you may not have seen. And I love the rendition you've done of that. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, I've had such positive feedback from different quarters, you know. So people who are walking and navigating this journey, people who are therapists, so mm. just lots of different perspectives um, that the, that image is evoking. So let's start our conversation. So tell me about yourself and what it is that you do, Sonez. Hi, uh, I, I train aspiring TED and TEDx speakers. So I take them from their seed of an idea all the way through building their core thesis to the TED audition, and then moving on to building their talk so that every line has impact. And I, I absolutely love, love, love my speakers. I've trained over 115 TED and TEDx speakers around the world. And I may not be a genius, but I love bringing out your genius. And I'm super excited about getting you on a TEDx stage, Bev. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I'm working my way slowly towards that. So, yes. That's, well, you, you know how much I love my speakers. You've been in a couple of my courses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get, we get your absolute bounteous generosity every time we do something with you so it's wonderful and let's and let's talk about your well-being journey so tell us a little bit about the background of your well-being story well 
I'm, I'm originally American, but I've lived in Japan for half my life. So over the past 20 years, um, you know, my, I've been a really healthy person. And then, uh, well, other than when I went to India about 12 years ago and I came back with, Del- uh, with Delhi belly and the doctors here had no idea what to do with it. But other than that, I was really healthy, except I started developing allergies to different kinds of foods and intolerances. And then about five years ago when I was, um, I was 38, I just started passing out like for no reason and pretty much hemorrhaging and uh, my hands would shake. And I, I, I went from being very super athletic, you know, I'd run, I'd surf, I'd skateboard and rock climb. Like that was, that was my week <laughs> and, and dance. And that was my lifestyle to, I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs and I had no idea what was wrong with me. And I went to over a dozen hospitals and they all said, oh, it's old age. I'm like, well, how about this one? I put on 10 kilograms in one week. Like that's kind of unusual considering I net 1300 calories a day. I run five to 10 K four days a week and I skateboard to and from the studios. Um, I have a TV show on NHK and I'm, I'm constantly going to and from the studio. So that's a good five kilometers a day. I'm skateboarding. This, this isn't, you know, what should be happening. And they're like, Oh yeah, maybe you should stop eating potato chips and ice cream. I'm like, "Mm, I haven't had a dairy product in over a decade and I don't eat potatoes. I think the last time I had a potato was eight years ago. And, you know, it was very strict with my body as you're on TV or, you know, and and as an athlete, I had to be very careful about what I consumed and, and image. It was so infuriating because my blood pressure was, I remember, I don't remember what the top number was, but I remember the bottom number was 47. And I'm like, I don't even see this number on your chart. I'm like, I'm passing out and fainting left, right, and center. And um, I have a concussion. They're like, well, you're, you're dizzy because you have a concussion. I'm like, no, I have a concussion because I passed out and hit a window in a convenience store. They couldn't give me a straightforward answer of what was going on. And they put the fault on one, my age. I was 38 at the time. And the second part they put it on was my unhealthy lifestyle because I'm a typical American. Of course, I'm going to put on 10 kilograms or 22 pounds in a week. And I did that over a period. Anytime I experienced positive or negative stress, and you know, we all have different stressors, right? We have like negative stress being like, you know, you got to make this deadline, you know, or the positive stress of um, being in a relationship or getting married or there's different kinds of stressors we can have. And I put on 10K in that kind of week. So I ended up putting on about, 35 kilograms. It's like 70 something pounds. Couldn't understand what was going on. All these hospitals said there was nothing wrong with me. I even went to a thyroid hospital. They're like, "Mm, you're okay. I'm like, well, maybe if I walked in and ate some gluten beforehand, maybe because I've been gluten-free and dairy-free and virtually sugar-free for over a decade. This doesn't make any sense. And I started having miscarriages. I've had multiple miscarriages and, you know, they're like, well, you know, it it just happens. It just happens. And I'm like, does it? I mean, I know one out of four women suffers from losing a baby, but this frequently there's something wrong and not a single doctor would even investigate a solution. They said, well, you can try IVF. 
said, well, I can get pregnant. I just can't maintain a pregnancy. Well, then, yeah, you should still try the IVF because the only way you can get progesterone in Japan, if that's what you really want, is to do IVF. And I thought, why this? This is ridiculous. Something is wrong with the system here. And I'm like, I don't think I'm getting any nutrition. I've had uh, chronic diarrhea for over 12 years since I went back to in- since I went to India. Um, and after I went to India, they put me on antibiotics for two years. Do you think that could be the source of the problem? No, no, that was 12 years ago. I got. I never got better after that. Nope, nope. No, the baby thing's completely different. Your weight is because you probably should stop eating avocados. And (laughs) it was just ridiculous. And then about a year and a half ago, finally everything just hit. Like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I I was pregnant. And the doctor... I was 10 weeks pregnant. I didn't even want to go in and check. I didn't want to take a pregnancy test because what if I lost the baby again? And this time, I waited 10 weeks. We're pretty good, right? Went into the doctor. And she's like, oh, great, great. You're having a baby. Cool. And I went back two weeks later later for my first trimester checkup or my second trimester checkup. And the other doctor at the clinic, this is a very posh clinic too. He said, oh, well, you know, you know what happened. I'm like, what? My husband and I were sitting there going, what? What? He said, well, the other doctor didn't tell you this fetus is inviolable. <sighs> Here I am at 12 weeks, and the other doctor didn't even tell me that the fetus was inviolable. And so I asked, well, uh, what does this mean? He said, it's a mis- miscarriage. Um, the heartbeat isn't, it never grew beyond six weeks, and a heartbeat isn't going to make it. And I'm like, oh, is there medicine I can take? And, and they said, no, no, there's no medicine. I said, well, my friend in Tokyo took some. He's like, well, you can take it, but we don't recommend it. You should really wait for the baby to expel naturally. Well, what about a DNC? What about surgery for this? You know, they, you know in Japan, it's not like... It's not like they don't even use abortion as a form of birth control. Come on, like a woman who has a fetus inside of her that's dead, they should be able to remove it. This is what they do in other countries. And if you have a DNC, you will probably never conceive again. And so I had to make a decision right there. I'm like, okay, well, if we want to keep trying, I can't have a DNC. So I carried a dead fetus for five weeks. Five weeks of hell and torture, this complete depression of who am I as a woman? And the struggle of being there. And I, I know um, I know that being a mother isn't the be all end all for everyone, and that's okay. And, you know, but carrying a dead fetus is severe emotionally as well as I had this moment in uh, Yokohama station. I was walking through the station. I just found out my baby was dead. And I'm on my way to teach at the university. Um, I'm, a, I'm a published academic researcher in communications. And um, so I'm going to the university. I'm coming back. I'm walking through the station. And this lady, she just turns around and she's just 
kind of got these wild, crazy eyes. Her hair is frizzy. And she starts yelling at me in Japanese, which is like, you disgust me. You disgust me. You don't look at me. And I'm like, and all I could think is I was walking through the station with my eyes on the ground thinking I am carrying a dead baby. And this woman can see that in me that I am disgusting, that there's something wrong with me. That is what I carried for five weeks and beyond. And after five weeks, um, the baby finally, um, like I went to acupuncture three different, three different times to, you know, let the baby come out and it wasn't working. And I started trying other things to help move this process along. What I didn't know at the time is that if you're carrying dead tissue for that long, you could actually go into toxic shock. Nobody told me this. All I knew is that if I had a DNC, I would never conceive again. So this was not lost in translation because my husband was there too. And when I finally started bleeding, I went to the doctor and she said, oh, okay, okay, good, good. It's finally, it's finally starting. Let's take a look. My husband and I went into the room while I got lifted up and she's like, okay, okay. looks like it's going to come out. Great. Get down off the chair. I'm like, there's something wrong. There is something wrong. There's something like, there's something stuck inside of me. And so we went back into the office and I said, uh, it feels like there's something inside of me. She's like, oh yeah, we started the preparation for the DNC today. Huh? I carried a dead fetus for five weeks. My husband was livid. He's a physiotherapist and he, I've never seen him get upset ever. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you, you told us that if we did this, we wouldn't be able to conceive again. And second, I don't know what you, they teach you in medical school, but in physiotherapy school in New Zealand, what we learn is you never touch a patient without asking for their consent. Did you even ask her if she'd eaten today? She can't have the surgery if she's eaten. And I just absolutely traumatized by that. And, um, and that's when I started realizing that bioethics in every country varies. So this started a massive journey for myself to figure out, okay, well, miracle upon a miracle after losing the baby, uh, Australian midwife came and stayed at our house. And she's, you know, I said, I'm so sorry. I won't be able to hang out. I just, I just lost the baby. And she said, hmm. And she kept asking me questions over the next few days about my allergies and all sorts of things. And um, she said, you know, my sister who went to South America picked up some parasites. She was at antibiotic, antibiotics long-term and she couldn't carry a baby either. Once she had an FMT, a fecal matter transplant, she was then able to um, repopulate her microflora in her gut and she conceived. She had a baby. Beautiful. Like, fantastic. Here's my road. I'm going to do FMT, except they don't do it here. So, and there's no really medical reason because there's nothing wrong with me except I eat avocados and walnuts. So <laughs> there's, there's, there's my problem. So in this point, I decided to learn how to do a do-it-yourself fecal matter transplant. And I found the perfect donor. I went through the list of all the qualifications, like it's harder to get into Harvard than it is to become a fecal matter transplant donor. This is where they actually take basically poo from one person and transplant it into another person's um, gut. <laughs> That's basically what you're doing. 
Um, and I found the perfect donor, somebody who's never been on, on antibiotics, somebody who's never been um, sick or severely ill, someone who has a body mass index that's the appropriate level, and someone who doesn't have any mental health issues or mood issues, and someone who was vaginally born, like all these different checkboxes. And it turned out to be my husband. So this is why I put up with my husband's crap, <laughs> just to get the fecal matter transplant. Um, anyway, so we did that for months, and we thought things were starting to get a little bit better, but maybe not. And I was still suffering. I was still feeling the chronic fatigue. I was still feeling that, I mean, we weren't fully trying, trying at that point, because I think I was still in my own headspace. And I was like, well, okay, let's go on a different journey for a moment. Let's, okay, we've already done the medical one. There's no solution. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing wrong with me. But all these symptoms are crazy. Uh, and at this point, I've tried my do-it-yourself fecal matter transplant, and it's getting a little better, but not much. I thought, well, it's time for me to really heal myself and go on a more of a psychological or emotional journey. And so I gave a talk at TEDx about miscarriage, what do you say? And so in this case, I wasn't talking about like, we should speak up about miscarriage because that's what everybody in the world is talking about. And I was, as a communications researcher, I want to look at language patterns and the behaviors that are the consequence of those patterns and what happens to people in certain situations. If you have an A, B scenario, how will people respond? And so for a year, I spent this time researching based on like when somebody says, do you have kids? And we're like, "Mm." no, we just lost our baby again. And seeing what their response would be. I'm speaking up about miscarriage. That's what all the people are saying to do. What happens when you do it? Let's try this theory on for size. What I discovered is people actually shut down. They don't know how to respond to that. Or they give platitudes which are so well-meaning and so heartfelt. And they just want you to feel better. Things like, um, you know, it's God's will. You know, Sarah from the Bible? She was 95 when she had her first baby. You still got 43 years left. <laughs> like, like, that makes me feel better. Um, you know, things like uh, it wasn't the right time or God needed another angel. There was just, I mean, a list of platitudes could go on and on and on. And I thought, is it just me? Is this the reaction? And what I, what I did is I went out and I surveyed and, and did some research and over 600 women shared their stories of loss with me. I think when you have um, when you have one case, then you know, okay, maybe it's worth investigating. But when you have six hundred, then you know that there is an epidemic happening. There is an epidemic. So these six hundred women share their stories of loss, and I found that out of the six hundred women, only one woman felt fully supported in her story of loss. The other 599 felt shamed by friends and family and colleagues. Somehow it was their fault. Something they had done. Some karma. Maybe they didn't think positively enough. Maybe they weren't relaxed enough. Or maybe they weren't going to be a good mother anyway. There was a lot of blame. And so I found... um, For me, in that I followed my own psychological and emotional journey by creating five steps to really understanding how to challenge and how to work through my own emotions. And 
talk about something that's possibly triggering in a vulnerable way. And one was to first challenge the popular thought, which was, um, you know, speak up about miscarriage. And what I learned was that, no, you can't just speak up about miscarriage because that's like giving someone a hot iron skillet with no handles, with no potholders. They try to reach for it, but then they drop it because it's hot because they don't have the tools to handle that. So we need to figure out something else. And so then the second part was I needed to develop um, out of curiosity, a core thesis, what is my idea? And from there, I thought, what if we need to actually change how we have a dialogue by giving people the tools, by not forcing this on them, by, by creating an open invitation and respecting if they can listen to it and be accepting, as well as creating our own boundaries. And then the third part was to always be speaking about it, like you're allowing me to speak today. And the third, fourth part was to prove it. And that was what the 600 women did. Uh, they shared with me their stories. And then I figured out number five is, am I ready? Am I ready to speak about this? And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to end up doing stage therapy. That's where people feel like, oh, no, I'm going to hold you on that stage because you're going to lose it right now versus you can tap into that emotion and know exactly where you're going and be able to convey that because as storytellers, we connect on a neural level. We connect on a level that as we're telling a story, it lights up in the other person's brains. We become synchronized. It's beautiful. And then at that point, we can create a dynamic change. And that's what I see you doing as well with your process bed of your book. And we both made that decision pretty much around the same time because we were on that train together talking about our, our, our journeys through the darkness and trying to find the light. And I remember being on that train and I had not cried. I mean, I had not like sobbed until we were there on that train. Two women who barely knew each other online. Suddenly in the same country, riding a train out to the hot springs and museums and holding each other with such accepting embrace and saying, I hear you and I see you. And you held me as I was sobbing on that train platform. And I'll never, ever forget that day, Beth. And I think likewise, you know, it was in that moment that understanding the level of your grief that it gave me almost permission to share with you the grief I felt at the loss of identity that the chronic illness had brought me. You know, so even though we had our pain, it was kind of really healing because we were able to just be vulnerable with one another, but just give one another grace to say what needed to be said without words, without needing to, like you say, give the platitudes or whatever. And I think this is where people who are feeling unsupported in their chronic illness find it really challenging. So there's a section of my book where I talk about unexpected responses because there were unexpected responses. So for you, what has happened on the journey that you didn't expect? There are two sides. One, I, I didn't expect the medical system to fail me so. 
I didn't expect them. I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew after I came back from India that, you know, something was wrong. Like I went to the doctor and I'm like, I just came back from India. I probably have deli belly. Could you check me for parasites and uh, test me for this, that, and the other? I gave them three types. Um, I gave them Giardia, Salmonella, and amoebas. Please check me for amoebas. I'm like, okay, okay. And I came back two weeks later, still going to the hilt with deli belly. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, you don't have influenza. <laughs> like, okay, well, what about the other tests? He's like, I didn't run them because I didn't think you needed them. And I found that to be the case multiple times. Um, I went to another hospital immediately after that. And they tried to put me in surgery three times in one day, one for gonorrhea. I'm like, I do not have an STD. <laughs> I'm like, you check me out. Take me to the gyno. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's that. We have to have surgery now. And I'm like, no, check me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, she doesn't have an STD. I know. Um, and then it was appendicitis. And I'm like, no, you'd give me an ultrasound first because they were swabbing me and getting me ready for surgery. I'm like, oh, you're going to die. You know, and then, the, and then it wasn't. And then they were just going to take my stomach out and clean it just because they could make an incision like a cesarean. I thought, you know, I wasn't expecting that magnitude of failure. Um, instead of saying, I don't know what's wrong with you. Let's try some crazy crap that's going to make you sick longer. Um, on the other side, and this is something that came up, um, especially after my, my last loss of, um, you know, here I was like four and a half months. And you know, by the time the baby came out, it was, I was halfway through a pregnancy. And what I didn't expect because I never experienced it in my previous losses. And I think because I was so clear about my boundaries, I actually wrote my final Facebook post. I went off social media for a year and a half. And um, my final post was, um, we've lost the baby again. Here are five things to say and five things not to say. And I was very clear with my boundaries. And people respected them just by asking. And then I started learning how to ask for help. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I, I can't do this alone. And I asked for help and people helped me. So that for me was very unexpected. I, I've always been this like really strong, like, yeah, I could, I'm, I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. I can take care of myself. I'm a strong, independent woman. I've been working since I was 13 years old. I'm like, I can, I can do this myself. But at this point, I couldn't. I had nothing left physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was drained. I was, I was not even making it. I, all these podcasts were screaming out, you know, imagine your life five, 10 years into the future. Muse those goals. I'm like, I can't even see tomorrow. But by creating boundaries, being very clear about what I wanted and what I didn't want, and by asking for help. I was more embraced and I felt more accepted than I ever have in my entire life. Yes, often self-sufficiency actually prevents someone else from being able mm. to support you in the way that you need most. So by being explicit and asking for what you need and not leaving people second-guessing. Mm. And I guess the other thing that I'm interested in, Sonesh, is how did you then, because you've been running a business all of this time, yeah. now how did you integrate focusing on your health and your business and your life? How did you work those things out? Asking for help. 
It's actually what I, I definitely had to do. Um, and I've, you know, I've had, um, I've had teammates come on. A lot of people call them VAs, but, um, I never think of anyone who joins as, you know, you guys are, you know, just out there. Um, I've had a teammate for a while. And then, uh, one of my friends who lived very close by, you know, she's, she's taken some of my courses and I just turned to her and said, I need help. I, I can't do this. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know anything about, you know, online business this way. And I'm like, um, in the meantime, can you just do these little, little things? It would really help me out a lot. And she started helping out and now she's become a full blown full-time team member. So having more help come on. Another thing I did, which was really interesting. Um, I was running a build your speaker brand course and I offered a weekend in Tampa, Florida. And because my co-collaborator, collaborator, Heidi Hapanowitz, she's a branding photographer. She's absolutely amazing. She's like, come to Florida, get your health taken care of. Cause she knows some great doctors down there. I'm like, well, if I can run a workshop down there, I'll do it. So I actually <laughs> created a workshop in a location so I could get some help because I knew that that would be the key. So if you work your business in a way that, Hey, I know that there's somebody I could see over in that area, figure out how you can run something in that, in that direction. So I went to Tampa, Florida, and just before I went, I was actually, the, there was something weird happening in my brain. I started, you know, getting dizzy, and I never experienced vertigo to that extent before, and um, shaky hands again, and, and um, at this point, I was losing cognitive function. Couldn't, I couldn't speak. I would stutter, and I thought, I can't speak or write. Who am I if I can't speak or write? I am a speaker coach. I give talks all the time all around the world and I train people to talk. How am I going to help them if I can't speak or write? Oh God, this is the end of my career. Now what's my identity? But I went to Florida and immediately uh, the day I arrived, went in to see a doctor, went in to see a, an Atlas chiropractor who I just thought was nuts out of her brain. Like She's like, all of your symptoms will disappear once you do this Atlas technique. It will align your neck it's by sound therapy. And she gave this 30 minute presentation. I didn't listen to. And I was like, all right, lady, you're nuts. Just fix my neck. Cause I slept wrong the night before I flew. So just, just work on that. I, you know, the, the healing my body, I'm sure is gonna, it's gonna have to be somewhere else. Um, and she did this sound thing on my, behind my ear. It's like, eh, eh, eh. and I'm like, I can't believe I paid this much money for this. <laughs> and I, I sat up and she said, now turn your neck. And I'm like, well, before I couldn't turn my neck because I slept wrong the night before I flew, but oh my God, I can turn my neck. This is great. This is fantastic. Okay. Well, it was worth it just to get my neck fixed because that's that little crick. Uh, and then I stood up and for the first time in weeks, I didn't feel dizzy. A flush went to my face and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I can, I can, I can turn my neck. I can say, oh my God, I can speak. And it was the first time in weeks I was speaking all because of that. And after that, I went to this miracle lady, her name's Elena Benisoff, and she's a naturopath and holistic healer. And you know, she's actually a pharmacist by trade as well. So really interesting lady. And I knew her from some of my workshops and, you know, I thought, I don't know what she's really going to do for me. Cause you know, I send out heaps of doctors. They can't do anything, but I'm in Tampa, Florida. Heidi told me while you're working here, you got to get fixed. That's the whole entire reason you came. I'm like, all right, I'll go book a session with her. And she did muscle testing and uh, muscle testing. Do you know what that is? Yeah. It's when you like, kind of like your body knows what's wrong with you. And so she checked and she's like, boom, 
vials, like she had like thousands of vials of different toxins and foods and different things. I didn't even know what was in them, but she had thousands of vials and she picked one up and she's parasites. What? Every time I've gone to a doctor and said parasites, they're like, that was 12 years ago. Yep. Parasites. She gave me some parasite stuff. And four days later, I'm vomiting up parasites the size of my thumb, just in chunks of it. And um, she put me some on some other stuff and voila, I felt like me again. It was amazing. Seriously. Elena is, she's, I, I can't believe I've been to all these doctors for years and here it is like this crazy Atlas chiropractor, Amanda Campbell, Dr. Amanda Campbell, and then Elena Benisoff. And these are the two people I should have seen them 12 years ago. Why was I so reluctant? I mean, I'd seen acupuncturists, but I was so reluctant to go outside of, you know, doctors know what they're doing. Right. And then boom. So I, 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 God, I'm so thankful. I'm so, so thankful. And then me too. <laughs> me too, because on, obviously you can see that you're feeling so much better. You look so much better in yourself. I feel great. It's such good news. So, um, so Ness, what are your tips for living fabulously? My tips for living fabulously are, I, I do, I practice Zazen meditation at the local temple near my house. So I, I think practicing meditation, taking some time to breathe for yourself. And quite frankly, these days, I'm not so great at it. I simply practice the art of showing up every day. I know that there's a lot of mind chatter happening. There's a lot of things that are going on. I, it's just a matter of having that routine. So one is meditation. Number two is gratitude. And I make sure that before every meal, we practice gratitude. You know, most religions you pray and you, you know, like give thanks, you know, thanks for the food. And, and in Japanese, we say itadakimasu, which is uh, thank you, I'll receive it from everyone, from the farmers to the the people who cook the food to the person who brought it to your table. So instead we say one thing we're grateful for at the table is we connect hands. And the third is sleep. Sleep is so important. It's you're speaking my language. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard, especially if you, if you're suffering from chronic illness and you don't know what it is or where it comes from. And you think, how am I going to get through this? Like, Honor, honor your body and the fact that it needs to sleep. And Bev, Bev is vigilant about turning off all the lights and all the media and all everything else. Uh, the fourth thing what was really helpful for me was getting off of social media, like just taking a break. Because you look at everyone else, they're living these amazing lifestyles, or there's maybe a feeling or sense of judgment or self-judgment. And if it's not something that you can handle, it's okay to say, you know what? I choose to exit out. I choose to not be part of this. And ironically, my year and a half off of social media is the best my business has done. So I do. Yeah. yeah, those are my four tips. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And you can find Sones at her website, which is yourspeakingjourney.com and also on Facebook. And as you've heard, she's not big on social media, <laughs> so she won't be posting a heap. But um, you can connect with her and um, obviously her courses are available on her website that she's mentioned um, in, the, in the course of this conversation. But I think one thing for me that sort of stands out about everything about your story is just your resilience. You know, we, for those of us who've dealt with chronic illness, we understand that journey, but to couple that with grief and loss is just 
unimaginable. So I think, you know, just thank you for sharing that so openly so that someone else may benefit too, you know, so that somebody who's listening to this can maybe question, you know, is this my journey too? Does this make sense for me? And thinking about the parasites, honestly, it's the easiest thing to treat out of all of the other things even though we may live in a westernized society, mm. it's very prevalent for people to have parasites. So please, if anything else you take away from this is if you're feeling off color, get to a health, uh, an alternative health practitioner and get them to test you for parasites. And in fact, I do an annual parasite cleanse. Do you? Because, yes, I do. Wow. I do. Because And I do it with herbals and homeopathics because we all need it. You know, we are eating a food that's been in transit somewhere or even though we wash it or mishandle, we may go out to restaurants and eat in restaurants where the hygiene may not be observable, you know, that it's, the food is contaminated in some way. And it may not be enough to make you ill, but Honestly, it's just worth doing once a year anyway. So, Sonas, thanks so much for being with me on the show today. Thank you for having me. What a joy. And if you have any questions or if you need to know more about my story, feel free to ask. I'm an open book. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.